Welcome back to the Big Ten Football Talk podcast. Doing a quick recap, I am just getting back from Columbus, Ohio this past weekend. Had a really fun time at the Ohio State-Western Kentucky game. Got to take my son. Uh, it was really, really fun. And because of that, I, I haven't had m- as much of a chance to really catch up on things from a Big Ten perspective as I typically do. And so I'm I'm shooting a little bit more from the hip in this episode. Again, if you like the podcast, make sure to like, follow, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify. There's been an uptick in reviews, and so I've been very, very grateful for that. Uh, feel free to keep them coming. Email me, Big10FootballTalk at gmail.com. Loved being at the stadium, and I, I have some thoughts on what's been going on, not just in the conference, but nationally. And I want to talk about certain things. I'm not, again, I'm, I, I haven't been able to really dig in and dive into different stats and things like that. Saw some results, saw some highlights, you know, have checked into different things. And what I really wanted to do in this episode, I'm not, I'm not going to do power rankings or top 10 in this episode. Maybe I'll do it in the picks uh, episode for this week. Really, really fun matchups. Uh, including Ohio State, Notre Dame, Penn State, Iowa. I think Rutgers, Michigan might be better than we thought. Uh, and I'll I'll talk about Rutgers a little bit in this episode. I wanna I wanna start with I think a premise that I feel like is more and more likely. And I think different outlets tried to warn us of this. Guys like college football nerds and and, and Josh Pate. And, and others who I really respect. And it's, it's this. There's no elite team in college football this season. I was having a, a, a discussion with uh, Yankee Wolverine on, on X. And it was good. He, you know, he, was, he was chiding me a little bit about my thoughts on Wisconsin that I thought Wisconsin might be better positioned to win the Big Ten this year and you know, he mentioned Big Ten or Big Ten West and uh, made a comment about the Big Ten West that I'm sure some may not be too fond of, but you know, it's the assertion that the Big Ten West has not been very competitive in the Big Ten title game, you know, really in a long time. And he's not wrong. You know, they've been competitive in certain matchups, 20, uh, 2015, 2016, uh, 2017 all kind of come to mind. Even in 2019, you know, Wisconsin really, you know, kept it close for a good chunk of that game. But part of, I think, why I thought maybe Wisconsin and even Iowa could match up in, in and maybe be a dark horse to win the conference is I thought they would be better teams compounded with the reality that I think aside from Michigan, I think Penn State has holes. I think Ohio State has holes. And Michigan, I think, is the most complete team in the country. But I wouldn't say they're elite in any one category yet. Now, they can certainly grow into that. And I think J.J. had made steps until uh, last night or two nights ago, because this is posting on Monday morning, you know, threw three picks against Bowling Green. Bowling Green is not good. 
so I, you know, I think there are still question marks where there's no team where I'm like, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're Georgia of the past two years. Right. And I think I, I saw that, that I thought Penn state, Michigan, Ohio state, all I think are playoff contenders. And yet I thought that they are not all the way there. Like I have questions about all of those, those teams. Well, you know, Florida State had a big win week one, and uh, Texas had a big win week two, and I think people kind of jumped the shark a little bit. And we're like, oh, Florida State easily the, the be- like looked like the best team in the country because they killed LSU. Not to mention that they only led for seven points for most of that game, and LSU kind of shot itself in the foot. Florida State did too a little bit, but like LSU didn't play a clean game in, in that game. And Alabama, you know, Texas beat Alabama, but they only beat them by 10. And I, I thought Alabama played a pretty poor game in that game. But despite that, I think they're very, you know, very much like Texas is back. Florida State's back. Well, and then Texas struggles mightily against Wyoming and Florida State struggles mightily with Boston College. And it there, there's this overarching theme that I'm, I want to get to is that I don't think there is an elite team currently in college football, which means this could feel like a 2007 type of year where you're, you just don't know what you're going to get. I would not be shocked if there are two lost teams in the playoff this year. Because I look at all the conferences, I think the Pac-12 is wide open. I think there's four or five teams that can win the Pac-12. I think I think Oklahoma and Texas are on a collision course right now for the Big 12. But I don't think either team are is that great. I know people are, are really high on Oklahoma because they've they've had a couple of big outbursts. It's still early, and it's it's not been against anyone impressive. And I think Texas has really good pieces, but I. I still have questions about them. Uh, the ACC is probably Florida State, but they just narrowly escaped um, Boston College. Boston College lost to Northern Illinois. My gosh. I mean, it's, it's bad. And I know Florida State was down a few starters. But my point, like, I, I think Florida State could win the ACC but still have two losses. You know, I saw what Syracuse did to – to Purdue and again, Purdue's not they're they're not an elite team, but Garrett Schrader's really good, right? You know, Clemson ha- still has talent, so I think Florida State will beat Clemson. But there there are teams in the ACC that I think can give Florida State problems. You've got UNC, you've got Miami, who all of a sudden looks like they they've leveled up a bit on, on the lines. So all that to say, I I think and in, in the Big Ten, you've got the Big Three. Plus, I think you've got some some teams that can play spoiler in a Maryland. In I still, I think Wisconsin and Iowa, they have they have ways of making you struggle. So I I I'm re- I'm embracing the chaos is really what I want to say, and I, I don't think there's an elite team. So that, that's kind of my first takeaway from this week. Uh, the second takeaway, I I think that the Colorado story, and I know this is not Big Ten, this is more national, the Colorado story is nice. And I think because there's so much attention, I think you have people on both sides of this. 
you have people who are like, okay, can we pay attention to other teams? And then you have others who are like, this is the coolest story in college football right now. And it's, it's awesome. And whatever side you're on, you're going to hate the other side. And I just want to bring some perspective to it. Coach Deion Sanders has done something that is unprecedented in college football. He he's essentially remade a roster overnight. And part of that, he had momentum because of all he did at Jackson State. You know, his two sons are playmakers. Travis Hunter, who is probably going to be out for a few weeks. I hope he feels better soon. Uh, you know, he came over because he of his relationship with, with Coach Deion Sanders at Jackson State. He's remade a roster and he's tripled their win total in the first three weeks of the season. And that's amazing. And I, I don't care if you like the Flash or not, or if you think that they're cocky or not, if you don't like their style or not, you have to give them credit for doing that. Now, I, I listen, again, I listen to several podcasts and some of them, there's one in particular who I really appreciate that the hosts, but they have them as the, had them as the fifth best team in the North half of the country. So like big 10 teams and top half of the ACC and, and top half of the Pac-12, all that stuff. They're like, Colorado is the number five team in the North. And I was just like, Let, we got to pump the brakes. <laughs> they, they beat an overrated TCU team. They beat a Nebraska team where their quarterback is a, is a turnover waiting to happen. And now they beat a Colorado State team, which quite honestly should have beat them. And they're not very good. This team is going to struggle to be bowl eligible. Like just looking at their schedule. Like I think Arizona State's a win. You know, Arizona State's, again, not very good. But they have USC on their schedule. They have Oregon. They have... Oregon State, they, I mean, the Pac-12 has a lot of teams in it that are really good. Washington, I think Washington might actually be the best team in the country right now. They are legit good. Now, Michigan State is, I think, they have some issues and it's not just the coach issue, right? Like there are schematic issues defensively that, that they've had them for the past several years with at, at, ever since Mel Tucker came. So I, I was not surprised by the outcome of the Michigan state game, but uh, th- all that to, to wrap this up in a bow, I went on a little bit of a tangent there on Washington. Colorado is like, they haven't played anybody. And the, the one, I guess, kind of decent team in TCU that they played they were lucky to win that one. And, I mean, TCU went up and down the field on Colorado. So I think we just have to understand, for both parties, I think you're both wrong. <laughs> like, I, I don't think you should hate what they're doing. I, I do think... <sighs> I, saw someone, I saw someone post the other day, or recently, like, I think they're a flash in the pan... I, I don't think it's a flash in the pan. I think I think Dion is a great coach and he's gonna learn. He's gonna learn, I think, to shut his mouth when people 
come after him. I think he's 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 got to learn to you know do some other things, but also like he runs a very disciplined ship. Like this is not a bunch of flashy guys who who are all swag and and no work ethic. Like these guys work hard and they're committed to their craft, but also their style is going to run people the wrong way and they have to stay composed. And they did not do that against Colorado State. And if if they can't stay composed against a team like Colorado State, I get their rivals. Um, like they're going to have real issues. But also I don't think they're going away. I think I think Dion's going to make them a contender in the Big Twelve in the future, which is where they're going after this season. But I I I like Colorado. I like what Deion Sanders is doing. They're just they're they're not going to be a playoff team. They are not going to sniff the Pac twelve championship. I w- I will eat my words if if they do. But they're just their line plays bad. They can't run the ball. They're not composed. They don't know how to be stay composed. And I, I just think it's going to strike midnight this season. But I think they're building towards something. And I, I think I think Dion has the vision for that. And I think he's going to do well. Um, I, I think the last thought about this, and I want to move on to, to another point. There's, there was a, a Twitter exchange between Dion and Danny Cannell and... Not that either of them listen to this podcast, but like Dion responded. I was like, Dion, don't respond to this, man. Just let it go. But like Danny Cannell was asking for it. And I just, and this is what drives me nuts about this whole thing is people are talking and talking and talking. And then Dion talks back is like, see, he's a punk or he's this or he's that. And it's like, Dion shouldn't have done that. But also everybody who's who's hating him right now is like poking the bear. And then quite honestly, as even though Colorado was guilty about several things on Saturday night, Colorado State and Jay Norvell, I'm sorry, they they played classless and they played uh dirty football, including the hit against Travis Hunter. They shouldn't have. Re- they shouldn't have retaliated. Shadur Sanders shouldn't have tried to eye poke. But it's it's just it's ridiculous, and it's it's just a tough situation. I want to move on to another another point here that's outside the Big Ten, and I want to get back to the Big Ten. There's a lot of people right now that think Alabama, like, is in a lot of trouble. You know, they struggled against USF. They struggled against, you know, they obviously lost to Texas. They benched Milrow for Tyler Buckner. I was like, oh, this is the end of Saban. This is the end of Saban. This is the end of Saban. It might be. I would just like to pump the brakes on that for a minute. I've seen this movie so many times where people are like, oh, it's over for Saban. 2014, it was over for Saban. Alabama, you know, worst quarterback ever in Blake Sims, you know, he wasn't very good and, oh, they lost all this talent, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, they have Jake Coker who's okay and they lost to Ole Miss and Bo Wallace and, oh, that's it's not good. And then Bama wins the national championship. Like, 
I've seen that movie before. And Alabama, like Saban knows how to win. Now, I don't think he's done a good job hiring assistants. And I think that's got to change in a hurry. But again, with the way that this season is set up, I think a lot of people right now are like, Bama is a top 20 team at best. They're not playing really well. And I think people are just like writing them off. And I'm just here to tell you, in a year where things are probably more wide open than ever in the playoff era, don't be surprised if they sneak in at the end and then win the natty. Because they have talent. If they figure out the quarterback position, that really will go a long way. I don't know if they will. And I think that if if they're held back, that's the thing that will hold them back. They have other holes, though, and other things that are a problem. A freshman uh, at the right tackle spot in Caden Proctor. They have a freshman in Caleb Downs as their, as their number one safety. That's a problem right now. But they're going to start getting reps. And they're going to get coached up. And, I mean, if they if if the quarterback gets figured out and we're in week eight, week nine, and Bama still only has the one loss to Texas, just look out. I'm, I'm just saying because as someone who has wanted Bama to lose like every year since Nick Saban has gotten them good, I have constantly said this is the end of Bama only for them to come back and either win the national championship or be a major player in the playoff. Just I'm, I'm just forewarning you guys, as, as a Big Ten audience who wants to see the downfall of the SEC, just don't be surprised. The other, the other thing I'm just going to mention, the SEC East, Georgia is not impressive. You know, they came back and beat South Carolina. Good for them. Got to watch out for Florida now after the upset against Tennessee. You know, I don't think Tennessee's great, but I still think Tennessee could give them problems. And look out for Missouri. Missouri just upset Kansas State. That's That schedule looks a little bit more challenging than before. And part of that is because I don't think Georgia is all that good. So... They're the defending two-time national champions. They deserve respect until they get knocked off. But just be on the lookout for the upset alert. Let me talk. I've been talking a lot about nationally. Let me just talk about the context of the Big Ten now. A couple things. I, I thought Penn State, they looked sleepy, but they got it done. Their defense got it done, right? They turned over Altmaier four times. Good on them. I think they're going to be in for a dogfight against Iowa this week. I think Iowa, you know, they were slow to wake up, and then they, you know, they scored and scored and scored. It was against a bad MAC team. But I think if Illinois can kind of get Aller off kilter and kind of hold the running backs a bit, I think Iowa could probably do that a little bit better to Penn State. And I think Iowa has better weapons. So I would not be surprised if the whiteout game is close or even an upset. The one thing in Penn State's favor, though, that I think will end up being Iowa's undoing is home field advantage. Penn State was at Illinois. Illinois is a tough place to play. It's windy. It, it 
you know, it just the way that the stadium is constructed, it really does make things hard. So I think the fact that they're not in Illinois, but they are at Penn State and it's the whiteout game, I think really is going to be a, a defining factor for that game. But Penn State found a way to win. They found a way to control the game. But I am concerned that they were not able to move the ball like Kansas was able to move the ball against Illinois. So that concerned me. I think Michigan had a poor game and they still dominated. Um, prayers out to the the, the young man who uh, was uh, hospitalized uh, on, on the field for Bowling Green, by the way. But I think Michigan Michigan did not look themselves, but they still dominated. Again, I think they're the most complete team in the Big Ten. But I think the game that's going to be interesting, and I think it really sets the tone for the Big Ten's reputation moving forward, is Ohio State-Notre Dame next week. And I want to explain why. No, it's not because I'm just a Buckeye fan. But if you think about it, Penn State, they have had two... They've had two Power Five wins, one in conference, one non conference, but it's West Virginia. And they're okay. They're not they're not in a top ten, top fifteen caliber program. Michigan's played nobody. Right? I out of East Carolina, UNLV and Bowling Green, who's their best win right now? Nobody. Wisconsin went to Washington State and lost. Iowa beat Iowa State, who just controversially lost to Ohio. Uh, Minnesota went to UNC and got beat. Washington just beat Michigan State like a drum. And I, I say this because the, the big a lot of the Big Ten non-conference Power 5 matchups, the Big Ten was kind of slated to be the underdogs, right? The only one that really hurt was Wisconsin losing to Washington State. I think every everyone else, we expected Michigan State to lose. We expected uh, Minnesota to lose. We expected Purdue to lose to Syracuse. We expected uh, Minnesota to lose. To, I think I already said that, Minnesota to UNC. So, like, that, a lot of these losses, they they don't matter in the grand scheme of the, of the reputation of the Big Ten but Penn State and Michigan, the, the, let me backtrack. The Wisconsin one hurts because now you don't really have anything to hang your hat on in the West in terms of a non-conference win. Virginia Tech notwithstanding with Purdue, which I want, you know, Rutgers also just beat Virginia Tech. But if Ohio State loses to Notre Dame, the Big Ten is going to have a hard time, I think, getting two teams into the playoff, let alone getting maybe one team in the playoff, if a team doesn't go 12-0 and or 11-1. and and, and that's because they won't have any street cred outside the conference. So that's going to be really tough. Notre Dame will have that win. That's going to give them the inside track to a playoff spot, takes it away from a conference champion. And I, at this point, from what I've seen with Notre Dame, I think they're they're going to beat Clemson. I'm not sure about USC. I this is this is a tangent. I don't see the love for USC yet. 
I just don't get it. But we'll we'll talk. I get Caleb Williams is really good. Alex Grinch is still the defensive coordinator. Like their defense stinks. So we'll we'll talk about that later. My my issue though, like with Ohio State and Notre Dame, is if Notre Dame beats Ohio State, not only does Notre Dame take an inside track to a playoff bid, you now have zero big time power five conference wins for the conference. Which means one of the key wins that Michigan or Penn State would need to get in the playoff is already tarnished because Ohio State lost. And then they're not going to play anyone else in the conference that has a big win. If you flip it, though, if Ohio State goes on the road and beats Notre Dame, well, then anything that happens beyond that is gravy for the conference. So, like, say Ohio State goes on the road, beats Notre Dame, but then loses to Maryland. Well, then Maryland has the the cachet of beating a big-time power who has proven on the road that they're a big-time power team, right? All of a sudden, they're jacked up in the rank, the rankings. That's another big-time win for Michigan or Penn State. Or if Ohio State beats Maryland, well, Maryland got beat by a better team, right? And then Penn State comes in, and either Ohio State or Penn State wins, and you, you see that what I'm, where I'm going is the narrative of the conference really hinges on that game. Now, do I think we'll get a, a playoff team in, from the conference? Most likely. Like, I don't see any of these teams. I think at least one of the teams is going 11-1. And I, I don't think, unless if, like, Notre Dame goes undefeated and the Pac-12 champ goes undefeated, the Big 12 champ goes undefeated, and the SEC champ goes undefeated, or, or the AC cha- ACC champ goes undefeated, I, I would imagine a Big Ten team would get in there. But I, I think it does limit the flexibility and margin for error. It, it might push a team out if several teams do well, especially if Florida State, who beat LSU, and Texas, who beat Alabama. I, it does make it difficult. It will make it more difficult for a Big Ten team to get in. So I think a lot really hinges for the conference on that game. Last thing I'll say, and then I'll get us out of here. Can we talk about Rutgers for a minute? I get Rutgers beat a not very good Virginia Tech team. And by not very good, I mean they might finish last in the ACC. Like, they're not very good. And yet, Rutgers beat them by 19 points. Like, they beat a Power 5 team by three scores. And, I mean, they were favored going into that matchup, which to me speaks volumes for the trajectory of Rutgers. I have not been very kind to Rutgers over the past few weeks. You know, they're kind of the butt of every joke. They, you know, we we just don't treat them with high regard. And yet, I think what Greg Schiano is doing for that program is so... It's it's incredible what he's doing, and I know a lot of people don't give him credit for it because he's not making bowl games yet, and it they often get blasted by 30 or 40 against the power teams in the conference. And here's what I would say to you. If Rutgers was in the West, where would they finish this year? 
I'm not so sure that they couldn't win the West this year. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, they, they dominated Northwestern like Duke did. Duke's pretty good. They beat Virginia Tech by more than Purdue and I think actually dominated Virginia Tech more effectively than Purdue did. Uh, they've got the running game really working with Menungai and Wimsat. That's And that's the challenge for Rutgers right now is they're not in the West. They're in the East. And their schedule this year is brutal. Wisconsin, Iowa are their two other West crossover games. Like, But imagine the beginning of the season. If you said that on your – on your schedule, you had Virginia Tech, you had Wisconsin, you had Iowa, you had Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and Ohio State. Like, if you saw that on your schedule, you're like, oh yeah, Michigan's going over in those games. And I know people don't think much about Virginia Tech right now, but even just think a few years ago, before the Justin Fuente era, right? Like, Virginia Tech was a power. And I think... We have to remember that context, not just that Virginia Tech, not just about Virginia Tech, but the context that what Greg Schiano is doing and building at Rutgers is very impressive and I think actually might be more impressive than what he did when they were in the Big East, where the only major teams he had to face was West Virginia and Louisville. Like, the Big East, when... Miami and Virginia Tech and, you know, not that Boston College is great, but when those teams left for the ACC, that conference was a shell of itself. I mean, West Virginia was winning the Big East and they, they you know, they had a couple of big bowl wins. But let's be honest, the Big East was, was the bottom of the barrel of the Power Six conferences, of the BCS conferences. And so for Rutgers to rise up and almost win the Big East for a couple years, well, I mean, it was great at the time, but it wasn't that big of an accomplishment compared to ha- being in a conference where you have three teams who could legitimately win the national championship this year. And so you're building this program, and I think they could get to bowl eligibility now. Like, I had them going 2-1. and one. I didn't think they would beat Virginia Tech in the preseason. But they're 3-0. and oh. They still have Michigan State on the schedule. And Michigan State looks like they're in turmoil. They have Indiana on the schedule. I think they, could, they can beat Indiana. They have Wagner on the schedule. They're definitely beating Wagner. Like, that's six. You have Wisconsin and Iowa on the schedule who uh, I don't think will I, – I don't think – they will win, but they certainly look a little more winnable now. And then you've got Maryland, who, if you play Maryland at the right time, Tunga Vailoa can get a little loose with the football, and they could possibly be upset there. So I, I, I'm just saying this. Kudos to Rutgers and to Greg Schiano. I have a soft spot for them. I'm from I grew up in New Jersey. I think 
I think what Greg Schiano is doing there is great. And I just think if they're in the West, I don't think they'd be the favorite to win the West. I think Wisconsin and Iowa are, you know, they're still going to be tough teams to beat. But I, I, I don't like, I don't, where would you place Rutgers in the West? And be honest, like Illinois has not looked great. Like they're just, they really haven't. Purdue, I, I think they would beat Purdue. I think they'd beat Illinois. I think they'd, they obviously beat Northwestern. I think they beat Nebraska. Like I, they, I think they might beat Minnesota right now. Like they, none of those teams have, well, the, the exception of Purdue, none of those teams have great offenses. And Rutgers, I think, has a pretty good defense. Now, they haven't played a good offense yet. I'm very curious to see how their defense holds up against Michigan. But I wouldn't be surprised if that game is is lower scoring uh, between Michigan and Rutgers. I, I still think Michigan wins. I still think they're probably in control. But I'm just, I'm just very curious about what would have happened if Rutgers was in the West instead of the East, which makes me very grateful that we're getting rid of divisions next year. Because while Rutgers will still have tough teams on their schedule, it's not going to be Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State every single year for them. So I'm excited. I, I think I think Rutgers is going to go to a bowl game this year. And I think if they do, I think lifetime extension for Greg Shiano because what he's doing there in making that program more competitive in a really good conference is it's more respectable what he's doing now than what he ever did during the Big East days. And that was that was an amazing thing because you have to get you have to create a winning culture when you're losing for that for that long. He did that and now he's starting to do it in a conference where you have landmines every week. So good for him. I think if you're a Rutgers fan, I know bowl game sometime a bowl game being your 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 prize at the end may not always feel like a satisfying thing but i think it's a big deal and i i think kudos to you guys that'll do it uh, i'll have my picks podcast for i think a great week of college football on thursday thanks for tuning in take care god bless